Hey, what's up, y'all? It's your girl, Vanna, and I am super excited, y'all, because tonight is a very special episode. We get to sit down and talk to Dr. Jason Purnell. He is the vice president of BJC's Community Health Improvement Program. Let me tell you, this is really a great opportunity because not only do we get to talk to Dr. Jason Purnell, we get to learn about the work that he and his new team at BJC is doing for the community. On March 2nd, 2022, kind of recently, right? BJC put out a public commitment to community health improvements, okay? And this new program is doing some work. Okay, Dr. Jason Purnell is the vice president over this program, but he's also part of um, a group who produced the For Sake of All report. And in this report, there was information that they provided, um, but, but one thing that really came from this report, which this report, I, I want all you all to get out here and go check it out. Um, but For the Sake of All report, it talked about how there's basically a gap in a living gap. So underserved communities versus um, communities that have a lot of resources in them in St. Louis uh, have the 18 years gap. Basically underserved uh, community. We are getting outlived by 18 years. But BJC created this space. They put out this release. Let me show y'all. They put out this release. They're saying, hey, we announced that this is what we're doing. We're introducing this, this space. It's out here. We have a plan. They're working not only with, um, you know, community. They've developed some relationships with some organizations that's already doing the work. Because, you know, I'm all about that, too. Don't be coming over here and creating new stuff or taking some stuff that people have already done. But, no, they're like, we are working with the community, and we're working with people who um, are already doing the work to just amplify it if if needed. Um, so I'm just super excited that you guys get to learn along with me about what they're doing. They're going. We're going to talk about all of this in this show. So I just ask that y'all make sure y'all tap in. Okay, go right now and tell your friends. Tag your people, tell them to come learn about what's happening at this new space at BJC, this new program, the Community Health Improvement Program. Come learn about it, come tap in, tell your folks, and enjoy the show. Hey, what is up, y'all? It's your girl, Vanna, and I am about to bring you all a special episode. This episode here is going to be a great one. We get to learn some new things. So I'm super excited um, and super honored for this guest that's going to be here and talk about this new program at BJC. But you know you girl. I ain't going to get all into it. I'm going to just kick the show off like we do every time.
here. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I am doing good. Grateful for your time. I appreciate it. Um, we're just gonna we're gonna get into it because this is a, a great great information that you're about to throw out there that I think the audience needs to know about. Um, so first though, I do want to kick it off by you telling the people who you are. Who are you? I am Jason Purnell. I'm a vice president for community health. Uh, improvement at BJC Healthcare, also an associate professor in the Brown School at Washington University. Uh, so I've been in this role, this new role, the vice president for community health improvement for almost two years. It'll be two years in, in August. Almost two years. A new position. Um, I know that BJC did this big kickoff. They did this big press release about this new um, area. Can you tell the people what is this new space at BJC and what you all do? Community health improvement is one of the four strategic priorities for BJC Healthcare, and it's really focused on eliminating health disparities, eliminating the differences in health outcomes that we observe by race and, and other uh, factors in our community. So that's our charge. It's a big charge. Uh, and we've been building out the community health improvement team and also engaged in about eight or nine months of strategic planning that included uh, the community as part of the planning process. We're focusing on four areas, uh, what we call our anchor institution strategy, which just means BJC's role as an employer, as a purchaser of goods and services, and an investor in community and economic development. We're also focusing on diabetes and the access to healthy foods in our community uh infant and maternal health and wellness and uh school health and wellness so supporting our children and our youth and in, in schools so these are the things that are the basics of where you guys will be doing most of your work uh, majority of your work um and that's that sounds like a lot <laughs> it sounds like a lot um so can we break it down just a little bit more um specifically for each area because i heard you say um which shout out to maternal health i am a big advocate around that um and you know the access that we need in the black community specifically um but i mean you talked about bjc and employers employees um investing um into uh, not only just employers or employees, but other black businesses is what I'm hearing also. So if you want to break it down for us a little bit more, that would be super great. Um, so in that particular space around our anchor institution, uh, what we're looking to do is increase hiring uh, and purchasing, uh, particularly with black owned businesses and introducing some really innovative relationships with financial institutions and nonprofit organizations. So we announced back in March uh, some relationships where we, we made some significant deposits in both Midwest Bank Center and the St. Louis Community Credit Union with the expectation that they will do lending in a 22 zip code footprint that is majority black and has at least 20% poverty rates, uh, which is the same footprint of a group that we're a part of called the St. Louis Anchor Action Network, which is several institutions, uh, health systems, universities, some businesses who are making a commitment to that very same footprint of 22 zip codes in terms of increasing hiring and purchasing. So it really is about 
deploying resources in places where we know that there's been intentional disinvestment over several decades and making sure that people have uh, the economic and social supports within communities that we know are the root causes of health disparities. Yeah. Uh, I often say a job is a health intervention. Uh, a safe place to live is a health intervention. Wealth and the ability to save money is a health intervention. So we have to move further, we call it further upstream mm. to those root causes of health disparities, even as we deal with uh, further downstream the work that has to happen in hospitals and social service agencies as well. Um, so there's a focus on that. Uh, there's a focus on supplier diversity and supporting diverse businesses, mm -hmm. um, particularly black owned businesses, black and brown owned businesses, um, as well as uh, the hiring that I mentioned. Wow, I think that is awesome um, and bold but needed very much needed and <laughs> um so i am so like excited to hear about all of these things that's happening and i love how you framed of we're moving more upstream like that's where you're going to get more of helping and saving um and you know deteriorating the problem of what's happening um focusing on all these things um and i, I know you talked about having community partners and nonprofit organizations and things like that that you're working with um, I wanted to get on because you know me, I'm all about community. Um, and when I think of community, the, the very community that I believe you all are working in to um, make these changes, how have you been engaging with the community to see what they're asking and needing um, and supporting them with this work that you're doing? Yeah, I should back up and say the overarching framework for our work around community health improvement includes that anchor strategy, but it's also uh, partnership and collaboration. And in a way, and this is a principle that we bring to all of our work, that we can't create solutions in our offices and then take it out to the community and wonder why nobody wants to do it. Community has to be at the table and they have to be at on the ground floor as we're building these solutions. So part of the way that we approach this is that uh, we co-design these solutions in partnership with the people closest to the problem. Uh, I'll give you an example. In the infant maternal space, we're working very closely and very intentionally with community-based doula organizations like Jama Birth Village. Uh, and other uh, organizations like it across the state. We, we, we were actually uh, part of a group that helped to stand up a statewide community-based doula council. Um, also worked with community-based doulas uh, as well as partners in the Institute for Public Health uh, at Washington University around uh, reimbursement for doulas at the state level. Uh, because in addition to the anchor work and the partnership and collaboration, there's also policy work that has to happen. Yes. This can't just be about the private sector or private actors on their own. We've got to set policy that is supportive of, of handling what we call the social determinants of health. So when I said that a job is a health intervention, income is a health intervention, uh, quality education, we know all of those things drive health outcomes. So we have to have 
the correct policies that help to support people in our communities. Um, so we're very intentional and very serious about um, Denisha Bohannon as our director of community health partnerships and collaboration. That is her her job is to make sure that we're showing up in community and in authentic ways. We're doing the same in the food space, supporting uh, black growers and and uh, urban farmers and uh, food distributors uh, in the community, in community-led models of uh, food uh, ecosystem improvement. So we're, we're being very intentional about that. Policy, sustainable. When I think of policy, I think about sustainability. Um, and yeah, you can come and create all these new spaces um, but if policy isn't put in place um, to make sure that it's continuing to continue to happen, um, you don't get much of an impact or a change. Um, so I, I love that you guys are also including the policy part. Um, that is so important. And supporting um, all of these different uh, areas. Um, I love how you're talking about these certain things about healthy foods. You know, you can't say, hey, you should be eating healthier when your store is only selling you chips and sodas or that's maybe the only thing you can afford because strawberries and tomatoes and all those things are high priced. <laughs> you can't afford them, especially if you're on a budget with multiple children in a home and trying to feed a family. So you think about these things. Um, and like I said, again, the access, we have um, a area in St. Louis uh, County, St. Louis County that is really big on right now food deserts. There's no grocery stores um, and the grocery stores that are available they ain't got quality stuff and it's expensive um it doesn't last long so i love how you guys are thinking about these things where you can't just doctors prescribe hey here go eat healthier your blood pressure will go down or um hey go exercise you can't go exercise it's just not accessible you don't have the walkways you don't have the safe streets so all these things that people say that are oh you should you should just be able to do is not always accessible in certain areas um it concluding Black areas um, in the hoods, they're not that accessible. So um, I love how this is the framework of what you all are trying to provide and support to get these things to the community and how this is what's going to help um, communities thrive is having these access and having the education part, which is also very valuable when you're talking about um, some, some kids may not know that or some People may not know walking 30 minutes could be a, a very much healthy thing to do, but I don't have access to walk. So I do know, but I can't do it. So it's just having these different layers that all play part into um, making community health improvements. <laughs> yes. Well, you know, what you're saying uh, reminds me of the pilot that we're currently running at Christian Hospital for people who have uncontrolled diabetes and also are facing food insecurity, who, who are saying they don't have enough money for food. They are enrolled in, the, in a pilot program that actually delivers food to them and to their household. Okay. Uh, and we're excited because it's a, it's a Black-owned uh, outfit called the North Sarah Food Hub that has its own farm in North St. Louis County and is locally sourcing much of the produce that goes into these meals, uh, preparing the meals at a commercial kitchen in North City uh, on Sarah, 
and then packaging and delivering those meals. And they are medically and culturally appropriate. To, so to your point, you can't just tell people to eat healthy. No. Um, that's, that's not enough. We're, we're helping people to eat healthy. And then after you get the, the, the prepared meals, uh, after a time, you get meal kits that help you learn how to prepare that meal. And then you get uh, support and education and uh, signing up for uh, SNAP or, or food stamp benefits or other benefits, cooking utensils, uh, guidance on nutrition, and we've got uh, community health workers who are helping take care of people's social needs. So if yeah. you have a housing issue, if you need a job, if you if you are running into other barriers, it's a it's a comprehensive set of supports. Um, we've got a black-owned business that's going in, uh, doing the weight measurement and taking the blood draws to measure people's uh, blood markers for diabetes. And uh, we're working with Operation Food Search as well on some of the nutritional counseling. So it's those kinds of interventions that are not just wagging a finger and saying you really ought to be doing better, um, but actually helping people to do better. Um, yes. And providing the tools for it is, is what we want to be, what we want to be doing. I love it. The wraparound support. Yes. I love it. Yes. Because that is exactly what we need. Um, I speak for myself. I was just thinking like, oh, God, if I could just have a personal chef. <laughs> Come teach me how to cook some healthy meals. Because some people, I'm going to put myself out there. Like, you know, sometimes you just don't get the lessons. You know, not everybody has been. And then you have to think of our history. Um, you know, sometimes our grandparents, uh, great-grandparents learned from having the least of the good so they like this what we ate this is what's going on so you don't get the untraditional things um and so you like i don't even know how to cook this i don't know how to cut this i don't know what's in season i don't know how to grow this i don't know if i saute this or if i fry this like you know you just don't know um and so it's like we have to take that in consideration and be like, okay, how do we provide the education or how do you prepare this? How do you know when it's good or when it's not good? Um, and it just takes a little bit extra more education, support, and access. And like you said, cooking utensils. Like some people can't afford a good knife to right. cut into a good vegetable. That's real and raw, okay? <laughs> some people have to think about feeding their kids putting gas into the, they, you know, gas tank, gas is shooting up right now. Some people don't have a knife. They're used to microwavable, so they don't have that utensil. Um, they might not have a pot. They might not have some of these things that you just are, you know, is a privilege. I tell people some things that they just don't understand is privileges. Um, having a car right now is a privilege, even though gas is high. Someone might not have the access to go ride and drive 30 minutes away to a grocery store. Right. And, you know, I used to teach a course called uh, Health Behavior. And I would have my students, uh, many of whom, you know, had access to resources, try and change one health behavior over the course of a semester. And I did it to give them some humility mm. because it's hard for any of us to change our behavior. Mm -hmm. um, and they had to track it week by week, what their progress was. And some of them struggled to make behavior change. So you really do have to make the healthy choice, the easy choice. 
Mm. You have to make, you have to clear the path so that people can change their behavior. And you have to be uh, realistic about how hard it is to change behavior. Yeah, because it's not easy. It's not easy. And I think, too, um, I don't know if you touched on it at all, but um, part of that can sometimes play into mental health um, and the support around that also. Because sometimes those behaviors come with traumas. And, you know, in the Black community, we are dealing with a lot of trauma, um, a lot of trauma. So, Absolutely. Yeah. Part, of, part of the work we want to do in the school health space has to do with behavioral health. Um, we are looking to partner with already trusted community-based organizations that can create spaces. I call them spaces where you can take a deep breath, mm. both as a, a child or a young person and as a parent or a caregiver. Um, we are looking at how to embed that kind of space and not make it another clinical setting, not make it something intimidating where it's another doctor's office, but where you can go to a library, you can go to a, a boys and girls club or a rec center and have resources there yes. that help you, um, again, just to take a deep breath because the stress and the trauma um, was there prior to COVID. Yep. Uh, and COVID made it worse. Yes. Uh, and has made it worse. And there there aren't necessarily uh, in all of our communities uh, spaces and places where it feels safe, it feels supportive, it feels, um, again, like you can just breathe. Yeah, I agree. Um, we don't have those spaces enough. Um, and the ones that we do have are probably over um, overutilized. <laughs> and they're at that capacity um, because they're not enough of them. Right. Um, yeah, it's very limited. Which, again, is why um, I think also uh, having a space where people can find out where things are for them to go. So I appreciate you coming here and being able to share these things um, because I think that's another part of it, too, is that people just don't know what's out there for them to get support um when they need it um and you know we overlooked how important things like this is to know about um i had no idea until you guys reached out to me uh that this was a space that what all the things that you guys are trying to do um and i know it's still fairly new but i mean just hearing what you all are doing now um, and, you know, seeing how very in intentional you are about what you're doing. Because I know you work with, like, Generate Health, um, and I'm very much familiar with them and their work out here for moms and babies. Um, and like you said, you're really making sure that you're connected to the community. And it's not like you're in your office like, well, this is what needs to be done in here. We're going to go with that. It's like, no, what are you guys needing? What is the community needs? Because that's another thing that I'm very much um, an advocate for is that we're not talking to the people that are um, impacted the most. Right, right. And, you know, it's also important to highlight existing work that has been going on for years. So you look at efforts out of St. Louis Children's Hospital, like the Healthy Kids Express, that take uh, vision care and dental care and immunizations out to schools um, and and the group there is looking to uh, 
expand access to behavioral health uh, through virtual care. So that, uh, and, and embedding uh, healthcare professionals within schools, uh, like, like St. Louis Public Schools. So, uh, and the support that uh, the Christian Hospital Foundation provided for uh, school-based health centers in the Riverview Gardens and Hazelwood School Districts. Um, there's lots of work already underway and many of our colleagues across uh, BJC Healthcare who've been working for a long time at this, um, what we're doing through community health improvement is some of this new work, but also aligning and knitting together all the work that happens across the system so that we can have maximum impact with it. Yes, maximum, maximum impact. Um, one thing I do also want to get in on um, is some of your previous work. Um, shout out to what you're doing now. It's much needed and appreciated. Like you've been in this game. <laughs> you've been not just, you know, talking the talk, but you've been walking the walk. Um, so can you tell people who may not be familiar with the foresight of all report and what that is and what came about from that? Yeah, so for the sake of all was an it was a collaborative effort uh, with colleagues at both uh, Washington University and St. Louis University. So uh, Dr. Keith Elder and Keon Gilbert at St. Louis University, um, Dr. Bettina Drake, Dr. Melody Goodman uh, in the School of Medicine at WashU, and then Dr. Daryl Hudson and Dr. Uh, William Tate who is now the president at, at uh, Louisiana State University, um, were all part of a collaborative team that was looking at the health and well-being of African-Americans in St. Louis and uh, released five policy briefs on a number of topics leading up to a report that was uh, finally released at the end of May in 2014. Um, and what we looked at were not just, you know, the, the, the typical report that just says black people have higher rates of hypertension, black people have higher rates of diabetes, um, which we know. We were trying to answer the question of why, where did that come from? Uh, I mentioned this, this concept of the social determinants of health. What, what were those social determinants of health that helped to explain those health outcomes. Um, and easily the, the most famous finding from the report uh, was a look at life expectancy, how long we expect people to live uh, at birth, and the comparison between 63105 in the Clayton area and 63106 in North St. Louis County, there was an 18-year gap in life expectancy at birth. Um, a geography that's separated by less than 10 miles, an 18 year gap in life expectancy. And, you know, the question becomes why? Well, you've got six to eight times the poverty and unemployment rate in 63106. You've got one sixth at that time, the median income. So $90,000 median income in 63105 versus a $15,000 median income in 63106. And we all know what the demographics of 63106 versus 63105 look like. And then, you know, it wasn't just about reporting on 
those outcomes and those factors, but also a set of recommendations around what we needed to do about it, which included investing in, in uh, high quality early childhood for all children, uh, investing in quality neighborhoods for everyone, uh, investing in, in mental health and behavioral health like we were just talking about, uh, school-based health interventions, creating economic opportunity for people. So you, hopefully you can see the connectivity between what we were recommending back then and what we're working on right now uh, at BJC. And, you know, we're, we're proud that uh, school-based health centers started to, to pop up um, as a result of this work. And there's now a, a statewide organization called the Show Me School-Based Health Alliance supporting, yep. uh, <laughs> supporting school health across the state that grew out of some of our efforts. Um, you know, there's policy. We followed up that report with a report in 2018 called Segregation in St. Louis, Dismantling the Divide, which was further explaining uh, that the map of St. Louis that we all grew up with uh, didn't fall out of the sky. These were on-purpose policy choices that removed resource and investment from parts of our region and placed it in other parts and barred black families uh, from having access to opportunity. Uh, so it, it's important to tell the story uh, and for people to understand where did this come from? It's, it's not as if health and uh, we know that health and life and the factors that support health and life are not equally distributed throughout our region, but we know they're not randomly distributed either. There are conscious choices that drew the map of St. Louis. Very intentional. Yes. Very intentional, the divide. So um, we have to be equally intentional about reversing that. We have to be equally intentional about placing resource. And that's why I'm so excited about some of this anchor institution work, because this is these are serious resources and dollars that we are now directing in order to address and redress those decades of on-purpose intentional disinvestment. Whew. Very intentional about investing in the community that has been underserved. Yes, it has to be. We have to do that. It has to be. And I love from, again, I love how in this report that it showed how um, it not only affects the black community, but it affects us all. Yes. For the sake of all, uh, Dr. Kian Gilbert actually came up with the title for the for the work. Um, and it was it was a. Uh, it was a title of an unfinished composition by Scott Joplin, the king of ragtime, who spent some time in St. Louis. They found it with his papers, and we thought that that was a really nice metaphor for the unfinished work that we have to do um, to really get to equity in St. Louis. And of course, uh, as history would have it, we released that report um, May 30th of 2014. And fast forward a couple of months, and Michael Brown is shot and killed in Ferguson. And all of a sudden, St. Louis is the epicenter of Black Lives Matter. Mm. And people are wondering, where did where did this frustration and anger and, and unrest come from? Right. And we had a resource for them. Um, it, wasn't, it wasn't the full explanation, 
but this is this is a, a description of what are the conditions in St. Louis that uh, can really light off a powder keg like that. And um, every member of the Ferguson Commission had a copy of For the Sake of All in front of them the first night that they met. Yeah. Um, so you'll you'll find uh, a lot of the recommendations there's there's uh, overlap from the for the sake of all report in what came out of uh, forward through Ferguson. That's that's not a an accident. It's not an accident. Being intentional. So I do want to get on um, and and because I think St. Louis has this thing about um, especially specifically starting. Um, I'm gonna keep it real and raw. I love keeping it real and raw. <laughs> black community we have um, a certain perspective about how people show up um or how people present themselves when they're talking about our community um and then you know we think it's supposed to be one way but i do want to get in on um you personally uh why do you care about doing this work that you're doing um why are you talking about being intentional um i'm, I'm gonna start there why do you personally care about this work I tell people all the time, this is not academic for me. Um, and I don't always share with audiences that 63106 is where I went to see my grandmother on St. Louis Avenue. Uh, spent weekends and entire weeks with her uh, when my parents were traveling. It's where Thanksgiving happened. That's where we had to go on, on Christmas uh, so, we, so she could make sure we saw her. Um, and there's no there's no evidence that her house was ever there. Mm. Uh, I drove by it uh, a couple years ago, and it's that that part of St. Louis Avenue is is gone. And I saw the decline of that block on St. Louis Avenue as I grew up. Um, I saw the removal of of resource and people um, from North St. Louis. I grew up. I also have this this experience of uh, that that segregation story that we told is the story of my family. It's the story of the Great Migration. Uh, three fourths of my family coming from Mississippi up to St. Louis, uh, and the other fourth coming from Arkansas, and settling in St. Louis, and growing up uh, in North St. Louis, and my parents graduating from Sumner High School in the 1950s. And then being one of the first families to move, one of the first black families to move on their block in North St. Louis County in Northwoods. And then my father taking this huge leap, uh, which my mother thought was a little crazy, uh, <laughs> to build a house in Creve Corps. And that's, mm. that's where I grew up. So mm. I grew up seeing both sides of this story seeing where the resources were and where people just assumed that they deserved the resources mm. and then going to see you know members of my family who i loved who were brilliant and beautiful and deserved all the resources well and didn't have them and i didn't have the language to understand that back then right or any of the history to understand i understand it now and it drives me because everybody should have access to opportunity. Everybody should have everything they need to flourish. 
and reach the fullness of their potential. And that's not a that's not some uh, academic exercise for me. That's real people, flesh and blood, um, especially our babies. Yes. Who deserve everything in the world that we can give them. Um, yes. But all of our people. Yes, all of them. All oh. of them. And it takes us all. Um, one thing that I appreciate um, is you do have academics. That's great. I love it. You do. You have that. And we need that. We also need to make sure that that's uplifted, that we can have that. But when we get it, we don't have to leave our, our, our people behind. Um, so I appreciate you. I appreciate this work. Um, I, I really am grateful for what you and your team, shout out to Donisha, <laughs> what y'all doing over there. Um, and, you know, I really support it. And I'm here to support as much as I possibly can and uplift you all. Um, I do want to um, get like how how can someone get involved and support you all in the work that you're doing even if it's like oh this sounds like something i need to sign up for or i want to know more like where can people reach uh reach you or reach out to get more info about what you all are doing so we do have uh, a website that's part of the the bjc website um I have a part of the website that um lists how to get involved. Um, we've got multiple ways uh, for people to, to think about how they support these efforts. Um, we've also got a, an email that you can uh, email us at um, off of that off of that website. I guess it's not horribly complicated. It's just bjc.org slash community dash health dot improvement. Um, and you can see more about the work and, and ways that people can get involved. Well, I, again, thank you for your time. I appreciate it um, for all this information that you provided to us today. All right, y'all. So this has been a great addition to the Hood Talks podcast, the Hood Needs segment. This is what we're talking about. We're talking about uplifting resources, knowing what's going on in our communities and how it's serving us. Uh, Make sure y'all go learn more about BJC's new health improvement program. Get signed up if you need some assistance or help with some of these things. If like it's so much going on, if you can just get involved and help, do that. Do that. Um, and then go check out the fourth cycle of our report, y'all. When I say everybody and their mama needs to read this, <laughs> I ain't playing. Everybody and their mama needs to read this, okay? Uh, so don't shy away from it. It is a lot. Break it down. But it's something that we all need to read and get some great resources and information from on how we can make sure that our communities are flourishing and thriving. Um, and, yeah, that's it. On that note, y'all, you know how I do. We out. Don't forget to subscribe to our YouTube page and also follow us on all our social medias. And you can find all of that information at www.thehoodtalks.com.